and welcome to Books, Frauds, and Booze. This is your host, Jamie Bennett, along with... Hi, I'm Monica. Yay! Hello, 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 everyone. Today we're doing a book written by a guy who does a podcast. <laughs> I know, it's kind of like a... <laughs> we're doing a podcast about a book about a podcast. <laughs> it's hilarious. Monica yeah. was at the library. And saw the book and decided to pick it up. And I'm like, oh, well, I've listened to that podcast. And she didn't realize it was a podcast. Loved the book. Picked out the book. Hilarious World of Depression by John Moe. I have that on my top ten list of books that I've read ever, actually. Especially this year. Excellent. I love it. It is it's very interesting because I hadn't really had a male perspective of depression and long-term depression before chronic depression so I loved it too it was very eye-opening yeah definitely and written in such a way you expect a book about depression to be a little depressing <laughs> and although it was very emotional at times I really liked the tone of the book uh I listened to the audiobook mm. and at times, you can tell um, he's uh, a professional as far as, like, voice work goes. He's had his own um, radio shows. So you can sometimes tell when his, like, work turns on versus his authentic self sometimes, which I also found interesting, like, when he was telling stories about his family and his brothers and he was being authentic. It seemed very different from, like, when he was interviewing other people about their experiences and so yeah. I don't know if they just took clips from the recordings and that's why it sounded so different but like it was you could definitely tell when it producer switched on <laughs> <laughs> it sounded a lot different you get authentic here all the time listeners so don't worry <laughs> we can't be any other way no and we've had no formal training <laughs> if that's not obvious <laughs> correct but Monica found a list of very interesting discussion questions from Lit Lovers and the first one is this book is a personal account of John Moe's battle with depression he says after years of depressive thoughts his wife urged him to find help for what he refers to as his desire not so much to die as simply not to be alive anymore do you understand what Mo means? Does that comment have any resonance with you? I think that is a very apt way to put a very real symptom of depression, which is if I can, it's like, what is it called? It's like passive, it's like suicidal ideation. It's like not so much, you know, you're not going to kill yourself. You're too apathetic to care if you're alive or not. Yes. And it's so, it's such a draining feeling and affects everything that you do in your life. And what's really horrifying about it, I think, is that when you're in that feeling, that apathy, like you said, you really don't care if you feel better or not. You know, all these tips and tricks like, oh, well, you know, do some self-care and do this and that it really doesn't have any meaning when you feel that way there's not much you can do about it so I thought that was a really good um, description and 
you know, he does a really good job of showing us that depression is not what you picture it as. It's a lot different. Not laying around crying all the time. Mm -hmm. It's, it affects how you feel about yourself, how you feel about others. It affects everyone around you. I mean, I feel like the most poignant part of the book is that he is, you know, a productive member of society. He is functional. He has a job. He has a family. Um, and he really puts forth that feeling that you get sometimes when you are depressed of just going through the motions of your life rather than living your life. I agree. Yeah, I uh, as far as the dis the discussion question goes, the that comment has resonated with me in the past. I have definitely, well, I would say probably still. I still feel like I'm barely like willing to live. Like I don't really. I, I promised kids I would live till ninety, but if it wasn't because I promised them that, I'd be like, I don't really care. This. Life sucks. Life's hard. I don't like it. It's, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and it, I think a lot of it too is trying to find meaning in these everyday struggles that just wear you down little by little every day. And it doesn't have, depression doesn't have to be about something catastrophic that happened and you don't have to be depressed for a certain reason. It can just happen. Yeah. Yeah. Friends yeah. like, hello, we've decided we hate you. <laughs> you're the worst. And you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I am the worst. God. <laughs> I suck so much. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's actually one of the tricks that I have learned that has helped me is if you can catch yourself in those thoughts. If you, most people who are depressed are kind and nice people and would never say things like that to their friends. So if I do catch myself thinking like that, I think to myself, hey, would I say that to one of my friends? You know, and the answer is probably not. And it helps to varying degrees, but. Reframing. The, yeah. Yep. Reframing the thought. Yeah. So question number two, talk about Mo's family background especially his father's alcoholism and his brother's addiction. To what degree has his family history contributed to his own depression? Well, I would say he was already depressed and his family history didn't help things. It's sort of like when you're, when you're already sick and you get another disease and it just makes it's harder to fight off that first disease. So I think it was... You know, like him having two forms of cancer. He has like two points of depressive, you know, anxieties. Yeah, I really think that our early childhood life and our families greatly affects how we think about ourselves and the world around us. I mean, they're they're the programmers who, who wrote our running program for who we are. Right. You know, so when we... When we learn these unhealthy coping mechanisms at a young age, then we apply those to our actual life. And so I feel like because of those circumstances, he started off disadvantaged um, as how to deal with his depression. 
So, you know, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, you know, the story of, like, when he's in high school and he goes and he visits his brother and uh, his brother's living in, like, Los Angeles, I think. I he's think living so. in California. Because he grew up in Federal Way, Washington State. And uh, he goes to California. He thought his brother was so cool. And then and then later, as in a while, he's like, wait a minute. He was dealing drugs. <laughs> and having, like, you know, younger teenage brother driving L.A. traffic? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but at the time, you know, that was just normal. Right. Behavior. And, and a lot of these you know, red flags and stuff that you experience when you're younger, you just sort of suppress in your body because you don't, first of all, have anything else to compare it to, to know if it's right or wrong. Although I feel like intuitively as people, we know when things aren't right. But he, he had felt like this was one of the best weekends he ever had with his brother. Mm -hmm. He had this wonderful story. My brother taught me to drive because he was too drunk and stoned to do it. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. It was like, as an adult, you reframe that experience and you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a follow-up question is, what is known about the aspects of hereditary to depression? And he talks about it in the book saying that not everybody who has this, you know, genes are going to get depressed, but it does put you at more risk for it. So when you have a more at-risk you know, genetic disposition for it, when these traumatic events happen, you're more likely to be triggered to a depressive state. And then, fortunately, John has this uh, severe long-term depression that seems untreatable. Yeah, and I really like thinking about this in the nature versus nurture aspect of it. I mean, sure, it scientifically, I'm sure it's you know, depression and mental illnesses does definitely run in families. And so we can say that our bodies are, you know, wired for it. And my question to that is always, well, what wired the box? You know, what is it? Is it our genetics and our body and that we're just damaged from when we're young? Or did our early life and our experiences in our family program our body to react and behave a certain way to these things. So, I mean, of course, not something we're ever going to know the answer to, but for whatever reason, whether it be genetics or whether it be family history or life events or whatever, definitely mental illness does run in families. I read a book not that long ago that talks about how we as women are tied to our grandmothers that when a woman is born, she contains all the eggs that she will ever have. So our genetic DNA was formed inside our grandmothers. So of course, you know, any sort of like trauma that happened to her is going to filter down. Yeah, because you actually experienced her trauma as an egg inside your mother, inside your grandmother's womb. Yeah. You know, like the world is wild. <laughs> It is very wild. Yeah. So question number four. Moses says he came to recognize the signs of depression early in his life in middle school. What particular symptoms during those adolescent years did Mo see in himself? Well, he's... 
Well, I think one of the biggest things is how he saw himself as an outsider, that everybody hated him, that he was weird, that he did stupid things. That he and, wasn't intelligent, he was mm -hmm. never going to amount to anything. And, and his peers did not see him that way. And I found it super interesting how he and his classmates had a totally different perspective, an entirely different reality about what happened. Right. Yeah, like he was, um, when he graduated high school, he was like uh, president of his class. Mm -hmm. People thought that he was great. He, They thought that he was, you know, um, fun to be around. And he was like, I was this weird nerd and everybody hated me. Yeah, and, and even in his humor, you can kind of feel some compassion for him. It's, you know, he talks bad about himself and and some of the things that happened to him and you can laugh about it because you know awkward and embarrassing things happen to everybody you know but there is this underlying feeling of that I wasn't good enough you know right yeah. right which um continued into his adult life and he, you know he still felt like that as a husband as a father as a son, yeah, he, he he talks about how we all feel we're more important in other people's lives than what we really are. Excellent too. point. And uh, his, his story is like, I'm constantly being judged by everyone and I'm judging them all and we're all judging each other and like, the that's how the saddies feel. That's what he calls people with depression. <laughs> he, he gave them a, a title, saddies and all the normies are like they don't really care they don't think about it they're all focused on themselves which i it is very true even though that feeling of being judged is so overwhelming and debilitating at times and i thought it was very important that he said i can trace it back to middle school at at least when my depression started and i think that we don't really think about that because i read that looking back on my life I could recognize feelings of, you know, not belonging and not being good enough and say, you know, dieting in the seventh grade and just, I, I had, I guess I hadn't realized that those were symptoms of depression and that I did feel a lot worse than, than I remember, you know, you, right. you know, yeah, unless, unless somebody puts a name to it, unless we talk about it, unless we have this awareness, you can just pretend like, oh, it's just a normal part of being a teenager. But I don't think it was. So many of my friends were depressed as teenagers. I, I have a hard time knowing what's normal and not. Yeah. <laughs> but this really follows right into question number six, where... Mode digs deeply into the various characteristics of depression, talk about the problems of identifying this order and then acknowledging it, of self-medicating, and of the ways depression affects the lives of families and loved ones. So I was, uh, I was a teenager and I told my mom, uh, I don't feel good. I don't like feeling this way. I need help. I want to go to counseling. And so I had my mom come in with me. I had her fill out the forms 
and she signed them and then I walked myself to a therapist every week. So I was very unusual in that I was like, I need help. I'm going to get help. Um, and I was able to, to get help. That is incredibly awesome and incredibly unusual. I think I was probably the opposite end of the extreme where at 15, 16 years old, I was like, I feel horrible. Alcohol and weed makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> um, do you want some LSD? Yeah, I do actually, because my reality is terrible. So maybe this other reality will be a little better. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did not definitely cope with it in as mature a way as you did. <laughs> my, my mom was... She was supportive, but she wasn't, like, overly supportive about it. Like, she, when she, I was like, I need to do this, she was like, okay, well, you can do that then. I think it's awesome that you were able to communicate that to her, and I think that's kind of a big barrier to kids getting help for depression. Like, in my family, the general trait is, is um, everything's fine. And we don't want anybody to think that everything is not fine. So we have to act like everything's fine, even when it's not. Now, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I mean, my family's come a long way. Mm -hmm. we've, we've really come a long way. We've got a lot of mental illness in our family. And it kind of, like, keeps coming to the surface to the extent that it has to be talked about. Right? Like, we, we have to be okay with saying these things out loud because we can't just say oh, you know, Monica doesn't feel good this week. No, that's not it, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So, yeah, I think having that ability to communicate is important in getting the proper help rather than going down the road of, you know, addiction and distraction and things that aren't so healthy. And I will admit, I mean, I, I love my kids dearly. I wish that they could come to me and talk to me about everything, but just, you know, we're not as open to talking about these difficult topics as I would like. It's, it wasn't a learned behavior for me and yeah. it feels awkward to do. It, it, um, I've tried talking to my kids about some things and it does feel awkward with them and they're just sort of like, mom, stop. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, but you need to be able to know that you can come talk to me. And they're like, uh, no, just stop, stop. Well, no, I stop. have started writing sticky notes and like putting them places like else. I stuck a sticky note on my son's computer because I know that's where he'll look. And it's just like, hey, I love you. I miss talking to you. You know, just weird things like that or texting. It's, it's easier for me to write than it is to say. And I think a lot of that is the depression and the judgment that you, the heavy judgment that you have on yourself that what you say is stupid and not important and not valid. And you know what I mean? See, I don't need depression to do that. My <laughs> soon to be 15 year old son's like, you know what? Your podcast is dumb. You don't have to do that. I'm like, <laughs> I just poke him and I'm like, shut up. Leave me alone. It's fun. We're being creative. Go away. It is fun. This is actually one of the biggest helps that I've had to depression in a long time. I think people need to do creative things 
and and not do things for a specific purpose. We do this because we love books and we love talking about books. We're not professionals, you yeah. know. <laughs> Although we do sound like professionals. That's so I've heard. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like if I want my kids to talk to me, all I have to do is grab a book. Like last night I was scrolling through on my phone, playing on my phone for like an hour. Nobody said a word to me. I was like, I'm going to finish this book for my virtual book club. And I picked it up and then they would not shut up. They just kept talking and talking to me. It was like 10 o'clock. I'm like, I have an hour's worth of reading to do. You guys need to go to bed. I mean, seriously. <laughs> so another question is, if you are comfortable doing so in a group, talk about how Mo's book related to your own life. If not to you specifically, then perhaps someone you know and a loved one a family member or a friend and I, I think we just did that one yeah but the next one is why is the book title what what is hilarious about depression well I think it was a way for him first of all I think it was in his personality and also a way for him to tell the story so that it's more accessible I think the podcast and the story um are more accessible to people because it is humorous, because it is easy to laugh at ourselves, especially when you are depressed. I think you do know how ridiculous you're being. And depending on where you're at in your cycle of depression, you know, the, the jokes, the humor can help put things into perspective a little bit. So I think it was a great technique. And I think it was, like you said, an authentic representation of his personality, which is what made it work. He wasn't trying to be funny. I think just, you know, he found humor in these horrible things that, that happened to him. And I, I also think that it, it goes with depression isn't just laying around crying in a heap of a pile and being sad all the time. Yes. So you can be funny and you can appear to be outgoing and everything can appear to be fine. Right. And you can function, but then you're still also depressed. You know, I think that is the biggest thing that's so hard to explain to people. I have a friend who I talk to um, and once in a while I'll say, oh my gosh, I am having a really hard time with depression. And always she says, why, what happened? And I've literally said the sentence 8,000 times, you know, nothing has to happen to make me depressed. Sometimes I just feel depressed. But with a lot of normies, <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't literally compute. Right. You know, it's like I everything can be wonderful and and you can get up and go about your life on autopilot. That's what I'm trying to convey, that feeling of autopilot. You know, he is productive in his life. He He's getting these things accomplished, but not he only are married, you on autopilot. He has kids. His daughter has um, medical issues because yeah. of, of her dwarfism. Yeah, but, but the whole time you're going about these normal things, your brain is also telling you how much it... It hates you how stupid you are how could you possibly think that you deserve these things so it, it's this weird inconsistency that you're living this normal life but also at the same time you're getting beat up moment by moment by moment by yourself 
So it almost makes things seem not real because how you feel is completely opposite to how your reality is. It's really strange. I agree. Do you want to talk about what we're drinking? Oh, yes, we have. Um, okay, I don't have my glasses on. Ace Pineapple Craft Cider. And it is amazing. It's from uh, produced and bottled by California Cider Company of Sonoma County. It is really good. It's very light. It's not overwhelmingly pineapple-y. <laughs> no, it's 5% alcohol, which mm -hmm. is nice. So, yeah, it's um, it's really good. Yeah. I bought it at the, the, the grocery store, so it should be available everywhere. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> we've just got a couple of, few questions left. Talk about what led up to Mo's podcast, which has the same name as this book. Have you listened to the podcast? I've listened, okay, so I'm a huge fan of Jenny Lawson, and she was on the podcast. And I don't really think her her episode was that great. I was kind of like, eh, it was, it was okay, but, like, I love Jenny Lawson, and I was expecting more. But it's hard to expect more when somebody is depressed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, And I feel like that was a really important thing that she said. She almost didn't do the podcast that day. That's the one I listened to also, because she was depressed. But she's like, well, this is a podcast about depression, so I feel like it's probably important that I do it even though I'm feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And you could tell some of the symptoms that you don't realize and that I recognize, like, the inability to articulate your thoughts. You know, you can't gr you can't grab words. You yeah, know, that sometimes you know. words are just hard. You're like, I can't, I can't speak. I can't talk. I can't do adulting. Right. Yeah. That feeling of like that disassociation feeling, you know, I think really came across in her in her interview. Um, and then what led up to his podcast? Um, I don't remember. I read the book a while ago because it was a library book and I had to return it. So didn't the podcast kind of come about organically after some other things that he was working on? He he was wanting to do it as a show. Mm -hmm. He didn't think anyone would like it. And so they weren't going to put it on as like a real radio show. So they decided to do it as a podcast. And then he's amazed that people listen to it. So, yeah, another which, symptom which of depression, right? <laughs> I know, and you've pointed these things out to me before. Once in a while, when I'll when I'll text something to you, and you'll say, "Well, that's just the depression talking," and it's like, "Oh my god, it really is." Uh huh. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, because we would picture him as enviable and you know very successful and someone who would we would want to be like, right? So it says, uh. Are you surprised that some of the well-known people who suffer from depression, do you know others? I, wa I wasn't surprised. And in fact, one of the things that I've always said, a lot of times you think your depression tells you if you just had this, if you just had more money, if you just had a better job, if you just had a nicer house. He talks about this a little bit in the book. If you get to this certain place, then you can finally be happy, right? Right. And I feel like a lot of, People who go into being famous and being a celebrity, I think they're more prone to it because that desire to be famous, you need that appreciation. You need that recognition 
from other people. So I think probably they are more prone to it because then when you get all of these things that you thought you needed, that you thought you wanted to be happy and you're at the top of the top and everybody wishes that they were you and you're still not happy. I think that's why a lot of famous people, you know, commit suicide or overdose and have problems with drugs. And um, so I think it makes perfect sense. All right, so I'm going to diverge here just very briefly. I'm watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix because Monica recommended it. And she's she's playing chess with, like, the 13-year-old boy. And he's like, and I'm going to become grandmaster of the world. And then she's like, and then what? You'll be 16 and the top of your game. What comes next? And I was like, exactly. Oh, my gosh, yes. I'm like, this is an important life lesson. He needs to be thinking about this. If he's this great at 13, seriously, what's he going to do when he meets his top at the tender age of 16? Excellent point. Excellent show. Love the show. Oh, my gosh. Like I'm halfway through episode six, so I've got, like, one and a half to go, and I'm just like, ah. It is totally amazing. (laughs) And that is a good point, and I think it brings it back to a lot of other subjects we've talked about on this podcast about living in the present moment and mindfulness. And like we said, we've learned that word reframing, which is what we have been trying to do and learn through different things. All of those things are important. The What's happening right now is what's most important. So our final discussion question, what have you learned about depression after reading this book? What in particular surprised you? Do you ever think that as a society we have overdiagnosed depression and we are overmedicated as some skeptics have claimed? Or do you think the disorder is actually underdiagnosed? Ooh, that's a big question. And I think the point, the part that I would like to focus on is the, um, I don't think it can be overdiagnosed. I think everybody can suffer from this to a certain degree. I wanted to talk about the overmedicating. Um, I, I am not opposed to medication. I actually have medicated family members of mine, and and they believe it it helps and it helps. I actually have what's called treatment resistant depression, which is fun, which means I went through at least 10 years, probably more, of different types of treatments, medications, everything you can think of, and either nothing helped or made me feel significantly horrifyingly worse. Oh my. So this also ties back into one of the other books that we read that was How to Change Your Mind, which means I am really looking into more natural remedies for my depression. I'm not saying medication doesn't work, like I said, but it doesn't work for me. And I have more faith and more belief in natural remedies, which is why I feel like they work for me. I think a lot of um, what makes us feel better is kind of like the placebo effect. I'm really interested in taking microdosing of um, psilocybin. I've heard amazing things about it. I'm not too sure how I'm gonna manage that. It's not like you can just go to the drugstore and pick it up. Um, But what I do take, um, not giving you medical advice, by the way, this is simply what I take for my own research. Um, I take St. John's wort every day. I take ashwagandha root every day. And I take GABA every day. And all of those things are supposed to work on how your um, body um, 
responds to the stress of being depressed and it's not perfect I don't feel perfect 100% of the time but I will tell you I feel a thousand times better than I did even 10 years ago oh that's good yeah that's important I feel like we I think we've talked about this before where the society that we're living in is becoming super competitive super stressful that the suicide rates are the highest they've ever been the depression rates are the highest they've ever been and i don't think it's being overdiagnosed at all i think it's just a symptom of this uh society that we're living in and just you know like how things are working and that uh, obviously we're aware that a lot of things need to change everywhere like our school systems when school was canceled it was like I cried every night. It was horrible, and I can't, you know. I think that's an excellent point. It's that feeling of powerlessness that we have in our society to make any lasting and positive changes. It's it's feeling trapped, right. and our modern society does that to us. It it's the most important thing for human beings, I think, to combat depression is to have a sense of meaning in your life and when we're all going to jobs we hate just so that we can you know live in a house and feed ourselves to you stay know, in our mediocre lives exactly it's it's i i'm a huge star trek fan and i just feel like as human beings we should be beyond this point by now we should be able to let people gravitate towards what moves them and makes them feel alive and creative and I think we could all work together everybody is so different that we would fill all the needs that a society has without having you know to have this capitalistic horrifying rat race that we live in that's killing us all yes yeah. rant over <laughs> I applaud Monica yay well do you have a uh... Any parting thoughts? You know, I think we've covered pretty much everything I wanted to cover. There was a lot of sentiments in the book that were very profound. We cannot express it through this podcast how important of a book it was. Like I said, this book is on my top ten of all time, which is not easy to be on. Because <laughs> we read so many books. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, was, um, it was really really interesting uh having had depression if you know somebody who has depression i think you would find it very eye-opening and interesting as well it was really um unusual to see a male perspective like there's so many male writers who have depression but they don't really write about their depression and they don't really write a memoir about it so yeah it, very important yeah it was highly highly enjoyable if you can say enjoyable in this sense but yes yeah, so two thumbs up woohoo so thank you all for listening and we will talk to you soon bye bye